Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Good morning to you. If I haven't met you, I'm Chip Freed, the lead teaching pastor here at our one church in three locations. Um, and want to greet all of you who are worshiping with us online. Uh, thank you for uh, taking this time with us, and we'd love to have you come out here and connect with us in person, but we're so glad you're with us in this uh, medium. We started this year off in January 2020 talking about vision, 2020 vision, right? They talk about hindsight is, oh, before you know that, that's good. Um, but, you know, there's a way to also look forward with God, with the Holy Spirit, uh, guidance to help us discern where we're going. And so as a church, with our leadership, I kind of declared this year to be a time of vision as we look out three years, as we look out ten years, as we don't take our hands off the steering wheel uh, just because some things have gone well, but we're faithfully seeking God's direction and where he's leading us as a church. And as all of us, you know, we live individual lives and corporate lives. You can't do one or the other in Christianity, by the way, um, that we personally in our homes, on our jobs, we be doing some, doing, we be doing, uh, boy, I have my, yeah. I paid all that money to Colgate and Princeton. Um, anyhow, uh, that we're doing the same thing and looking ahead and looking at what's God saying to us in our individual lives. So last week, we began to move what we called from vision to values. You see that here. We have the stepping stones of our faith. As we move out in vision, what are those values? What are those bedrocks that we can't avoid, you know, step off of? I mean, as Andy Stanley once, one time said, the message of Jesus Christ never changes. The methods change, right? Jesus talked about new wineskin. But the, what are the bedrocks? And so we have five core values here at Garfield Memorial Church. You find them on our website. They're all biblically grounded. They're not because they're cute words or we're trying to be, you know, correct or anything. No, they were biblically directed to us, and they are safety, uh, authenticity, growth, diversity, forgiveness. Um, if you're a member here, a regular tender, we want you to know those. Um, and so we're just grounding ourselves in them. We started last week talking about safety. And we had that story of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, dragged out uh, by the religious authorities, thrown at Jesus' feet, ready to stone her. And we saw that the world can be a pretty hostile place. Religion can be a pretty hostile thing. But boy, the irony that they threw her at Jesus' feet, the safest place in the world. And we always want the church to be a place of safety, Right? I can get my feelings hurt in the world. I don't need to get my feelings hurt in church, okay? And so, you know, that we, we not sit on the judgment seat, but we allow folk to seek and search in safe ways, and that's important to us here. So today we're talking about authenticity, right? Authenticity is very important, that we don't put on pretenses, right? The gospel doesn't need our help. God so loved the world that God did what? Entered into the world, right? Didn't avoid things. But somehow in religion, we've kind of put all these frills on it. We put up fronts, right? Um, Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites. And hypocrites in that day and age in the Greek, they were masks. 
That word hypocros was masks that they wore in the theater. So what he's basically saying is you're putting up masks and you're not being the real you. And you're not being honest with yourself and you're not being honest with me. And so authenticity is always important to me. I, um, my, one of my mentors' mission statement I adopted as my own. And his mission was simply to uh, connect people to a real God and a real world. And that's my personal mission. All right? And so when my wife and I, or Pastor Terry and I, we're out in the world. And I always try to spend at least a quarter of my work week. Uh, hanging out with people who are non-churched or non-believers. I think that's my responsibility. Jesus said, I came to seek and save those who don't know me. And if you're my follower, you'll be out there with them. And so I intentionally do stuff to make sure I'm out there with them. And the biggest compliment I get when I'm with non-church people and non-religious people is they say to me, you don't seem like a pastor. And I go, oh, thank you. Like, whatever it is that you think a pastor is, because we know how it's being represented out there in the world, I'm glad you think I'm not that. And I'm not trying to be cute. I just don't want to have that holier now, that, that aspect that I would ever look down my nose at anyone. How dare we do that when we know we're sinners saved by grace? So I was looking at authenticity, and I came back to this story that Pastor Terry read for us, if you heard online and here. Uh, the last chapter of John's Gospel, it's the reclamation story of Peter. And I didn't plan this. I love how the Holy Spirit works through stuff. It just kind of hit me in the head this week. If you were here last week, I mentioned that, that John 8, 1 through 11, the story of the woman caught in adultery, the entrapment by these dudes, right? That if you have a study Bible, that story in, in your Bible in the English will have all kind of parentheses and brackets around it. And the reason is, as I shared last week, that story was not in the earliest, earliest manuscripts of, of John that they found, but, but it was prevalent in all the manuscripts in the very early church. And it's similar with chapter 21 of John. The very earliest ones sometimes end at chapter 20. Jesus is raised from the dead. It's over. But the very earliest ones in the early church had this story. And I love that because can you, it was like in the early church, you know, John's writing down his message or whatever. Be like some of you, like if I wrote down this message, say, Chip, you forgot that story. You remember that one? You know, like you got to tell that one. And it tells me that these two stories last week and this week were so precious to the early church that they just couldn't live without hearing them. And I thought about this story, and I said, you talk, I, I think I've preached on this text and the parable of the prodigal son more than any text except the Christmas and Easter story. I keep coming back to it because it's rich in meaning. And I found it to be an absolute great description of what I'm talking about, of God's desire, Jesus' desire, to take off the mask, to quit trying to be you know, something we're not, to be authentic with him, and it's right in this story because I'm going to say four things to you. This is an authentic story about an authentic person. It's in an authentic community who ends up with an amazing authentic witness. So first, this is a very authentic story. And you say, Chip, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is uh, I've read people like Reynolds Price at Duke University. He's the most famous one. But there's many uh, linguistic biblical scholars that what they do is they study the storytelling, the, the, the narrative, the, the shaping of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, and they compare them to fiction in that day and age. Not fiction today, not, uh, you know, Tom Clancy or whatever, but, but the fiction of that day and age, in, in, in the day of the Gospel writers, in the Greco-Roman world. And they notice something starkly different. That, that these stories read like historical documents. 
They read as eyewitness testimony. They differ from the legends of that day and age. And there are a lot of critics of Christianity that say, oh, the resurrection, oh, Jesus, it's just a legend. Yeah, history, we know he lived, but he wasn't really this. It's just a bunch of fables. And these scholars would say, if you read this story, it's an example of a very authentic story that does not read the way that, that Homer wrote the Iliad. In fact, there's details in there. And if you study it, I know it's deep, but in that day and age, fiction they didn't give any details in fiction that did not move the narrative or provide character development. See, my English teachers are happy with me again. <laughs> Thank you, Mrs. Maud, if you're watching from Borman High School. Anyhow, um, you know, that, that it, they would not do that. So you don't get like, Hercules got out of bed, he heard a robin sing, he heard a knock at the door, and as he walked, the floor creaked. You don't get stuff like that in first century in that day and age. In fact, you don't get like the, the stuff of that in fiction until really the last couple hundred years. But yet in this story, look what we get, right? It says Peter is in a boat and he put on his outer coat, that's what it means, and jumped in the water. Why does it tell us that? How does that help develop the story? It tells us that the boats were only 100 yards from shore. Well, why does it say that? And then it tells us that they caught a lot of fish and tells us how many. There were 153 fish. Like, numbers mean a lot in the Bible, 10, 12, 3, uh, 7. Those are numerology. Scholars have tried really hard to figure out what 153 means, and it doesn't mean anything. It's like, why is it there, right? You don't read, uh, you know, Homer who says Achilles was eating fish, ate of them, and he scratched his ear by the fire. You don't get that. But we get it in this story. Why? Because it was memories, precious memories. Think for a moment, all of you have precious memories, right? I mean, really cherished memories. Do you realize, I hear this from people at funerals and we talk and stuff, sometimes you remember the weirdest things, don't you? Like, why do I remember that? Like, you know, my mom passed away, she was born on Christmas Day, she died Christmas Eve, I had only been at this church three months, and I went to pick up the boys that morning from her, my two sons, and I had breakfast with her and she went home and she died. Uh, in the prime of her life. And, and I remember what we had for breakfast that morning. And if I told the story, I would say, you know, the day my mom died, I went over downtown and um, I had a Western omelet and she had eggs over easy and, and we talked about, you know what I mean? It's like, why would I put that? Why would they put these details in there? Because this was a precious memory to them. And they remembered things. So this is an authentic story. And it shows us an authentic community. What do I mean by that? I love the first line that John tells us in this story. It doesn't seem like much, but you got to look at it. Um, very first line, it says, look, look, names of people, Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, or the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together, period. Were together. Not to get, they were together so that, or they were together to, or they were together, and, they were together. Why, why hard stop? Because, because John, the gospel is making a point that, that this is significant, that they were just together. See, their master, their leader had been executed and killed. And it was dangerous for them to be together. But there was something that had happened that unified them and kept them together. And it was important for John to let us know and the early church to say, in spite of all the dangers, in spite of the hazards, in spite of the fact that it's difficult... We're, de we're together. 
And I'm going to preach on the diversity one in two weeks. I don't get me going there. But this group is a very diverse group. These people never get together. Nathaniel, when he met Jesus under, you know, uh, Jesus saw Nathaniel. He was a cynic. And Jesus said, I saw you under the tree. And Nathaniel goes, oh, you're the Messiah. I believe. And, and, and Jesus is like, oh, do you believe just because of that? I mean, I haven't even done miracles yet. And Thomas would have hated that. What do you mean, Nathaniel, you just believe because Jesus said something? I won't believe unless I, t- do you see, I touch and feel and, do you see what I'm saying? I mean, they're, they're different, but they're together. They've experienced Christ differently, but they're together. And this is an authentic community of being together, people who would never be together, except they had a unifying experience. You know what that was? They met the risen Christ. And you know, sometimes you have to work at being together. Some of you folks are just weird to me, and I'm weird to you, but we wouldn't be anywhere else, would we? And look at the story. I love what it says. The next verse, it says, Peter says, you know, he's upset, he's broken, I'm going out to fish. And they said what? We'll go with you. They didn't say, we want to fish too. These are fishermen, many of them. They didn't say, oh, Peter, I was just thinking about that. Oh, the, the conditions are favorable. I was wondering if we were going to go out and throw a few lines in. They didn't want to go fish. You say, well, how do you know that, Chip? Because these are professional fishermen. These aren't two guys down at the state park with a can of worms. These are the deckhands on Deadliest Catch. They are, they are pros. And they know that it's not a good time to go fishing. Why? Because they went out there all day and they caught nothing. See, sometimes you have to work at being together. Sometimes you have to do some things you don't feel like doing just to be together. They said, all right, we don't want to go fishing, but our friend is hurting. And we decided we're going to be together. It costs you something to be together. I love that we're starting, uh, Kimberly Chapman, when we're leading us another group of multi-ethnic conversations. And, you know, the Holy Spirit puts these things together. I wouldn't have thought of it. But, you know, that, that's a, it, it's, it takes intentionality to be together, to have conversations like that. I go out and teaching. I'm going to be out in D.C. next week, and I've been working with some churches, and we talk about that. And people say, well, how does that go? I mean, when you do those multi-ethnic conversations, how does that go? I say, it makes everybody mad. And they're like, wow. <laughs> like, we didn't think in the church you'd do something to make people mad. I said, no, it's okay. We figured it out. So what, what, they said, tell me about that. And I used what Onia Kobe, one of the authors, told me one time. He said, you know, yeah, at the beginning, you know, it's uncomfortable. People are mad. But you know what? When Susie starts to cry, you give her a tissue. You know, when Joe tries to go to the door, you guard the door, you lock it. When Ralph crosses his arms, you just pat him on the back. You do. And you do what? You stay together. And Kimberly can talk to you if you're interested out in the the lobby. By the time that sucker gets to week eight and you've been together and you sit down at the table together, you don't want to be anywhere else. Because when you've had people, I'm getting a big hum up here, guys. When, When you have people who have had the same, seeing the same, it's getting worse. There it goes. Um, who knew? God may have been getting ready to part the stage. I just wanted to be sure. Um, so when you get people who have had this unifying experience of seeing the risen Christ, it doesn't matter how different they are. You want to be together, right? Like, I'm going to go out in D.C. Pastor Steve is going to be here preaching next week on growth. I'm preaching in a Lutheran church. Yeah. No, I love them. 
I've been working, teaching, coaching. We coach a lot of churches, you know, out in D.C. We've been coaching about 10 Lutheran churches. A little different experience. You know, I told them I was joking with them. In your world, you just think Methodists are Baptists who can breed. I get it. Right? And they sent me the, they said, will you come preach for us? Because I'm teaching on Saturday. I said, sure, I'd love to come preach. And they sent me a bulletin. It's four pages of liturgy. Four pages of stuff you read. And then they say, well, here's what you're preaching. And usually uh, we preach about 12 minutes. <laughs> I couldn't wait to tell you all that. I knew you guys going to be next week saying, oh, God, pray for the Lutheran church. No, and I started talking. She goes, well, and she said, well, I have been out to your church if you want. I said, you know what? No, it'll be fine. Terry and I are coming. We just want to be together. See, when you, because when you know people have met the same risen Christ that you have, you can just be together. I had this experience uh, unified by a common theme in, in 2016 when, thank you, finally in my lifetime, I saw a championship come to the city of Cleveland, Ohio. Oh. Hey, man, LeBron, build the statue now. I don't know what in the world we're waiting for. Uh, I'll chip in. I mean, like, and after that happened, you know, after we'd been to the mountaintop, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to go, sorry, Dr. King, but seriously, after we experienced that, I went downtown with 1.4 million of my closest friends. Anybody was there? Do you remember that? There was no fighting, there was no, there wasn't any problems, we were just all unified by what? A common thing, and we were together. I'm hugging random strangers, people were passing me, anyhow, anyhow, but you know. <laughs> Uh, and that's like, man, this is some stuff. What? We were unified. We won a championship. And I want to say to you, if winning an NBA championship or an NFL championship or a World Series can bring 1.4 million people together, what should the gospel of Jesus Christ, God risen from the dead, Jesus Christ come to love us and forgive us and nurture us, that should pull us together. And that's the message we have for the world. What, what do you think the magic of Night to Shine is? Yeah, I got my gear on. From, from, I, somebody saw me. This is why I wore Friday night. And I came in this morning. Somebody said, have you changed your clothes? And I, <laughs> but sometimes you just want to hold on to those moments of doing what? Being together. Gosh, I, I could preach all day on that. So an authentic story, an authentic community, an authentic person. Do you get any more real than Peter? I mean, Peter is, he's brash. He's, um, he, he's like me. He must have been a yellow for those of you who went through temperaments. He opens his mouth. He talks before he thinks, right? He says on the last night, Jesus said, they'll strike the shepherd. You'll be scattered. Even though I must die, I'll never deny you. I mean, it's not like other people didn't think it. He was the only one stupid enough to say it, right? Open mouth, insert foot, ready, fire, aim, right? And, and Peter, he fails miserably. And the gospel stories tell us that. You know, he's raw, he's unfiltered, he's uncensored, and he, he goes down in the ditch. Do you realize Peter failed Jesus uh, no worse than anybody saved Judas? And that's where he's at, and the church knows it. And that's why they hold this story as precious, because Jesus didn't leave him there, because Jesus was honest and open with him. In fact, if you study this story... It's similar to Luke chapter 5. It's a very similar story. Luke chapter 5, uh, Jesus, the, the disciples are in the boat. Both stories, in the boat, 
Catch no fish. Jesus says, put your nets on the other side. They catch a big load of fish. Very similar. Two differences. One, Peter. Jesus gets in the boat in Luke 5, and they have this amazing catch of fish, and Peter says to Jesus, get away from me. Get out of here. You make me feel small. You make me feel vulnerable. You expose where I'm weak. I, I, I Depart from me, he says. Now, same story, same situation, same result, and Peter is diving in the water and swimming like a madman trying to get next to Jesus. Do you see how authentic and real this is? See, because those are two very real experiences with Jesus. Nobody in the Bible comes close to Jesus and uses him like a vitamin supplement. Right? And if you're doing that, it's not authentic. Because if Jesus is who he says he is, you either want to say, get away from me, or run to get to his feet and worship him. And Peter's raw. He's, he's real, right? And he, and he comes before Jesus in a very, very authentic way, very authentic responses, right? And um, it reminded me where I learned this kind of authenticity. See, you know, I've had a real raw experience with God. It started way back in Sunday school, we used to call it that. Um, I, I grew up in a Methodist church, and so I remember I was in eighth grade Sunday school. I, that was after seventh grade. We went through confirmation. What all confirmation was is we just memorized a lot of scriptures we didn't understand and then repeated them in front of 800 people, like shaking, right? But after that, we graduated, and we could either go out into big church with 900 people or we could kind of stay in this eighth grade Sunday school. So we stayed. By ninth grade, we weren't staying because we wanted to go sit with all the women in the balcony. I'm just being honest. But in eighth grade, we're, a little, we're still coming through adolescence. We don't know. I'll never forget, it was the wife of my um, middle school principal. She was a beautiful woman, and she taught this Sunday school. Up to then, we just memorized stories. We were afraid to break the law or God would kill us, right? God's the big policeman in the sky. I learn your recitation. And she made God so real to us. I'll never forget that. And she said, uh, you know, she was talking about prayer, and I, I was trying to remember the Lord's Prayer. She said, Chip, why don't you just pray to God like you talk to your friends? Like, I can do that? She's like, yeah, she taught me God had a sense of humor. What? She taught me that Jesus wept. Where? She said, you know what? He was so interested in meeting a woman at a well who was from a different country and people that didn't get along that he sat there and waited for her, and that's how eager he is to hear your thoughts, Jim. What was she teaching me? Be real. Be authentic. Don't go through the hobby-nobbies and gooby-goobies and don't understand that the word has become flesh. To be with us. And that carried me all the way until I got in my college chaplain's office when I was mad at God. And I don't like the movie Goodwill Hunting, because if you've ever seen it, I lived that movie. And I had that experience in his office. And so, see, when you've had that authentic experience with God, I just don't know how to pretend. I don't know how to clean it up. You know, it's too real to me. In fact, when we first came here, and I'd be preaching, I'm a very confessional preacher. You know, I'm honest about our lives and that. And I would tell stories about my wife and my kids and I and all our struggles and what we're doing. And, you know, people would go over to Terry and go, are you okay? <laughs> they would. When we first got here, like, we're used to, like, two poets and a hymn. Like, he's talking about you. And she goes, what do you think this is? She said, we're drinking from this cup. This is where we're walking, right? And so as you... Until you be your real self before a real God, he can never show the real problems and the real possibilities in your life. And until we have the courage to go there and say, God, you know, show me. 
here I am. You know, I can't hustle you. If I put a mask, I mean, if Superman has x-ray vision, what does God have? He's going to see through anything I try to put up, right? And when we do that, God can, God can do amazing things in our life. Look at Peter, miserable failure. And God didn't bring him back to be a foot soldier. He got, called him to be a general. And if he took this absolutely impulsive Peter and turned him into a rock, what I dare say can he do with you if we're open and honest with him? And so you have an authentic story, an authentic person, an authentic community, and it leads to this authentic witness. We get this in Peter's letter. He writes a letter to the early church, and here's his absolute witness to that church. We find it in 1 Peter. He says this, and, and this letter doesn't just fall out thin air. This is when the early church begins to go through persecutions. They are going through unmitigated suffering. And look at his witness as being this kind of person. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us what? A new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept. That means safe, guarded in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Look at this. It says, in this you rejoice even now for a little while. You've had to suffer various trials so that, it's a so that. I love the night to shine. Shine so that, right, you may, God may be seen through you. Do all this, have this living hope so that the genuineness of your faith, authenticity, the realness of your faith being more precious than gold that though perishable is tested by fire may be found to result in every praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter is saying to them. See, Peter is a reliable witness. They know Peter's story. They know how he was broken. That's why they, they treasured this story. They, they felt Peter was so real that in the book of Acts it said when they got people were sick, they just laid out in the streets hoping when Peter walked by, his shadow might fall on them. Because they, they trusted him. They knew he was a, a real person. They knew he had real flaws. They knew he knew a real savior. They knew he had had a real transformational experience. He was at the point of suicide, if you believe what happened with Jesus, Judas. He was ready to cave in. In fact, the gospel writer said he wept bitterly. But Jesus came and gave him a new story. And now Peter says, I have a living hope. Not, not a hope out there in a sweet by and by somewhere, but I have a hope that's alive in me. I've got something to share with you that can bring you through. And he shares with them his story and his testimony, and they find strength in that because he's real. How many of you have gone through really tough times in your life, and you get some well-meaning people, oftentimes they're Christians. Gosh, Christians would be some of the worst counselors. <laughs> you really can't, God. You know, you're in the ash heap. Oh, it's God's will. Just deal with it. Oh, that's helpful. Thank you. Right? You know, people come through and, and you're, you're polite. But how many of you know when you're really in it and somebody comes to you that's been through what you're going through, don't you trust them a little more? Don't you like lean in and listen? Right? We had that terrible accident a few Sundays ago with that helicopter crash. It took, you know, nine victims, including Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gigi and seven precious others. And I, I was out, uh, I, I watched an interview with Anderson Cooper and, and Matt Mauser. If you know Matt Mauser, his wife Christina Mauser died in that crash. Um, she was an amazing basketball coach and left Matt with uh, three children, three, nine, and 11. 
and, and Anderson Cooper was so gentle. I love that brother. He, um, he, cause he lost his parents young and they were, you know, it was just two authentic people have an authentic story and a really hurting time. And, and, you know, and then Matt uh, said, they said, he said, something happened today. He said, you know, people have been very kind to me. But he said, I was out for a walk today, and I came home, and there was a friend of mine, a friend of our family, and she was sitting. Anybody see this interview? She was sitting on the front porch, and a few years ago, she lost her husband and left her with three children. And now I had somebody I could talk to. Yeah. And he said, I went over to her, and I fell apart, and I said, what do I do? And she said, you wake up every day. You wake up. So he said, Anderson, every day, I'm waking up. Do you see what an authentic witness does? And when Peter could walk in and know what the people are going through, he would soon go through it himself and say, I have within me a living hope so that you can have genuineness of faith too. I, I'm going to close with this, but I remember the very first church, the very first place anybody ever called me Reverend Freed. And I honestly, it's the first time they said that to me, I went into the men's room, threw up. True story. It was Montgomery Methodist Church out in Belmead, New Jersey. I was a seminary student, and they hired me to be a, a youth pastor. And I was at the church, and uh, it was a wonderful church. It was like a 40-something church. It was only 25 years old, which is pretty young for a church. They weren't swimming with all these anchors. And there was this brother, he was in the late 70s, just getting ready to turn 80s. He was like the grandfather of the church, and he was so alive, and he was like a walking encyclopedia of scriptures, and he was always upbeat, and he was smiling, and he would share liturgy, he would share prayer concerns. Uh, the pastor was real close to him. Anytime we did a stewardship thing, he'd be leading it, talking about how tithing has blessed his life. He was so upbeat and positive that I didn't trust him. You ever had that happen? Just me. Right, like nobody can be that happy. Nobody can be that. Mother Teresa maybe, right? Like, is this fake? You have those, right? Now I'll never forget, I was out golfing with a brother in the church. He was in his 40s, and, and I just brought it up, and I said, hey, is Joel, that was his name, Joel? I said, is Joel the real deal? And he looked at me like his eyes went through my soul. And he said, Chip, I don't know anybody more in life than is the real deal than Joel. He said, yeah, he's a successful businessman. We all knew that. He said, you know, he's done well for himself, but here's something you don't know. He lost two of his four children. One, tragically, his daughter when she was 10. Another, his son, to cancer when he was 22. And of his two living children, um, one of them lost a daughter, so Joel lost a granddaughter too. He said, I don't know anybody that's a more real deal. When I heard that, guess what? Joel's witness came alive. And I listened to him. And I knew Joel would pray for his kids because his two living children, they didn't handle it the way Joel did. They left the faith. They got mad at God. Who could blame them? And didn't want anything to do to church. They'd come with their dad on Easter, but they didn't smile. And they didn't sing. And Joel was always praying for them. And a few years ago, if you were here at 10 o'clock, my senior pastor, I hadn't seen him in 20 years. He and his wife were coming through Cleveland. They stopped to worship with us. And my wife and I went out after. And I was asking, reminiscing about some people in the church. And I asked about Joel. What, what happened to Joel? He said, well, come on, Chip. You know, Joel, he's with God now. He's in heaven. He said, but here's the good news. Both of his kids are back in church. He said, I baptized the children, the, the teenage grandchildren. I said, what happened? He said, well, Kathleen, his daughter, told me what happened. It was the day Joel died. 
See, Joel had multiple strokes, and he was a talker like me. He was a salesperson. He had multiple strokes, and he couldn't speak anymore. His mind was there. It was driving him crazy, but he couldn't get words to it. And he said, uh, Kathleen, his daughter, told me the last day they were with their dad. They didn't know it would be his last day, but they knew he was failing. And they were there in the hospital room, and he was trying to communicate. And then he was agitated, and suddenly she said, Dad was doing like this. He's pointing at something, and Dad, what do you want? What do you want? He's pointing, and they noticed he was pointing at the sink. And they thought, oh, oh, dad wants a glass of water. And so William, the brother, got a glass of water and he took it over his dad and his dad went, mm-mm. And he pointed at his sister. And, mm. He wanted William to give the cup to Kathleen. And so William handed the cup to Kathleen and he said, he wanted her to drink, so she drank. And they said, mm. give it to your brother. Like, you know, she handed her brother. And he said, her brother, He went up and drank, and he smiled. And Kathleen said, my God, Dad is serving us communion. And in that dark hospital room in the valley of the shadow of death, a living hope shined bright through the power of the resurrection. And two children, because of that testimony, came home to God. What could happen if you would give your authentic life to Christ And let him build an authentic witness in you. How effective that might be for letting God's light shine through us and bring light to the world. How do we do it? Stay together. Be yourself. Be authentic. Don't try to be cute. Let people know what God has done for you or is doing in you. Be honest and trust the promise of this broken, redeemed sinner named Peter that there is a living hope because of what God has done. Not out there somewhere, but for us right here, right now. Lay claim to it. Lay hold of it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, Holy Spirit, thank you for your reminder for us to uh, come as we are. You know us anyways. Be honest with you. Be open with you so that your light can shine in. Yeah, we may feel like Peter. I know I have. Oh, God, that hurts too much. Don't show me that. Get away from me but you won't, and you stay with us, and you come to us. I'm struck that the first time you did this miracle, Lord, you were in the boat with them. The next time you were on the shore, and you're saying, I don't have to just physically be with you. I can be with you always, even to the end of the age. And when we believe that, and we come and receive that, you can build an incredible story, your story through us. Help us, God, at this church, and as people different, Stay together. How many times, God, I'm so convicted, we say to people, oh, we need to get together, and we never get together. Bind us together, God, in in ways that cannot be broken because we're bound together in you. We We thank you for an authentic story. We thank you for an authentic Savior. And we give you thanks that you want us to go and live authentic lives with you. In Jesus' name.